Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Hey, y'all. Did you miss me? Of course you did. I heard the last episode's intro. In this episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names, the guys review Lignum, Downforce, Indulgence, and The Lost Expedition. I promise I won't leave you again. Thank you, Vanessa, and thank you for coming back and listening to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, episode 123, The Lumberjack Song. I am your host, Marty. And I'm Tony. Marty. Can you do me a favor? That is such a great Monty Python skit and song. Can you play us just a little, little snippet? I thought you would never ask. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. Monty Python is like my all-time favorite comedy team. Love those guys. When you and I were roomies in college, I was like, I just don't get it. You and I both know that your sense of humor and my sense of humor diverge just a little bit. Okay, a lot. <laughs> a lot. But here's the thing. Monty Python actually sculpted my sense of humor. Their dry wit and sarcasm, and people say I'm sarcastic, but I don't really get that. But anyway, their dry wit and sarcasm is like what I just love, and I've always loved that type of humor ever since. And I enjoy some of their stuff. I mean... I- I'll admit, Holy Grail, incredible movie, but I've always enjoyed Life of Brian more. You know, that's been my favorite. Really? Yeah, I've always, I always liked Life of Brian. Just the Coliseum Arena section of that, where where they're splinter. I've always enjoyed that. It's talking about the different factions yes. of the Jewish. You know what is so funny? The first time I actually saw that later in life, actually when I was in uh, college, and. I was taking a a New Testament class, and part of the study was talking about how during that time, there were all these different different divisions of Jewish people. There was all these different groups. So when I saw that, I'm like, I got it even more because they were being historically correct, which is another thing I liked about those guys. They were just intellectually smart. So they, they came off of that because that's exactly what happened back then. And yet their humor appeals to those of us who aren't intellectually smart <laughs> and and because you took that class i ended up taking the class as well because we saw the movie and therefore that led me to go say you know and you said it was an easy a unlike that weather class that, that you <clears throat> we don't need to talk, okay, talk anyway, about that but speaking of splitters yes where was vanessa last episode where, what was up with the woman she's got one job for rolling dice and taking okay two jobs keep you straight and do the intro where was she? So in episode 122, when it came time, I was looking for it, and I realized I had not renewed her contract at the time. Okay. She was under a yearly contract, and she was sitting out for uh, a little bit more money. So I had to uh, come back with the new agreement of, you know, I got to take her out some more, spend a little less time editing and playing games and do some more stuff with her. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. Okay. And uh, so she, she said, okay, we're good. We're good for another year. So she gladly came back. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad you got that worked out because everybody, you know, comes to appreciate the greeting, the soft Southern greeting from Vanessa at the start of the show. 
And uh, and I'm glad you got that worked out with. Him. Yes, I did. And in fact, Tony, it has been a big uh, week for us. In fact, negotiating several other agreements because two of our very special sponsors, Portal Games and Fun Again Games, have agreed to continue to sponsor us surprisingly, for yet one more year. Suckers. Yeah. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Hey, come on, bring it on, big boys. We'll take you. Anybody, bring it on. Here we go. We're ready to go. No, I am so excited. I'm I'm very happy. I mean, Ignacy has first Martians coming out, but we're not going to get the hype meter up on that. It's it's a game. It's It's, just a a game. It's a game. It's a game. It's a game with an app. Yeah, I know. I I sent you the agreement, Tony. Actually, you kind of hammered out the agreement, but I added one little item to the agreement, but I don't think Ignacy saw it when he agreed to it. Along with some other stuff, I stuck in there that we need larger fonts. Oh, good. And he said, okay. So I think contractually, he's obligated to provide larger fonts in his games now. Well, we'll see how that goes, and hopefully we'll see it in another, you know, expansion to Imperial Settlers, which, look at you, helping the gaming community on Twitter, Ignacy, getting him engaged, and what expansions should you put in with Imperial Settlers? I like that. How many can you run? And the answer was... One? Yeah, somebody on Twitter had asked how many expansions should you include in Imperial Settlers. All of them, one. Uh, Ignacy said it's best to do one because it's kind of synergized to have your combos and everything. And if you dilute the market pool too much, you won't be able to pull off those combos and synergies that's meant to occur. Right. And I, I mean, speaking of Twitter, speaking of people contacting us, fine. I'm sorry, people. I'm <laughs> sorry that I messed up and spoiled. So technically, I did not spoil the Wonder Woman thing because I was wrong. I okay, was wrong. Context here. Context here. First off, I just want to say that when we at RDTN make mistakes, we will own up to it. And not like some newspapers, like when they have a big front page story and they have a goof and the next day they run the uh, correction like eight pages deep. No, we're doing it at the front of the show. Back in episode 122, when we were talking about Wonder Woman, Tony made this following statement. Daddy Weasley was the bad guy. I I couldn't get my head around that. That's who that was. Yes. I didn't, couldn't remember. All right. In my defense, when we were at the movies and we walked out, we all said, oh, yeah, you know, Mr. Weasley was the bad guy. And that stuck in my mind. And we later corrected that, that it was the werewolf. Fine, fine. And it's still, I reverted back to that original thought. I'm sorry. I hope I didn't ruin the movie for you when you were expecting Mr. Weasley to show up and he never did. So maybe you clued in that I was wrong or you saw it and said, I don't remember Mr. Weasley being in there, but, but the werewolf guy was there, Lupin. Remus Lupin. Remus Lupin, I messed up and I apologize. And then. And boy, hold on. We, we got hammered on that. I mean, people were coming out of the woodwork. Now, here's the thing. Do not mess with the fandom. If you're going to say something about a particular fandom, you had better get it right. Now, I'm not making excuses, but I am not a huge Harry Potter fan. I read none of the books. 
I did watch the movies, but when you said that, it clicked and I realized, oh, that's right. I saw him in that movie. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know who the characters were. So (laughs) I'm taking the blame off myself and putting it back on you. Yeah, nice shield there, big boy. Yeah, I like that. You stepped away from that one. (laughs) But I mean, fine. Got the wrong Harry Potter I'm going to mess up. I'm going to screw it up, people. But like I was saying, and then to call me out in Twitter world, Dan Patrice of the Geek All-Stars, and say, hey, you screwed up and all that good stuff. Oh, by the way, would you help a brother out and mention a Kickstarter that's running on a friend of mine? I mean, what? What's up with that? Can you believe that? That he would come back and ask a favor. After bashing you. I know. What, what that, is that's not the way that? you get a favor. You get the favor up front, and, and then you do the, the, the personal attack. However, Tony, you are not the only one I'm that not. messed up last episode, as I did, because we reviewed a game from Renegade Games called Sentient. <laughs> and I had to think about it. Because <laughs> during that entire episode, I said, I referred to that game as this. We're also going to review another hot game from Origins that I really didn't know a lot about till I got there and tried it, and that's Sentinet. One of the hot games from Origins was Sentinet from Renegade Games. That's Sentinet. Yes, I called it Sentinet. Now, Tony, again, I accept full responsibility, but there is a reason this happened. When I first saw this game at Origins, I thought it was called Sentinel. It had robots on it. I was thinking like the Sentinels and X-Men. Mm-hmm. However, as I played the game, I was looking at the box and going, wait a minute, that's that's not Sentinel. That is sentient. Well, I couldn't get that in my head. And so as we're sitting here talking about it, it came out as Sentinut, which is not even a word. Well, it's close to sentence. It is close to sentence, but Sentinut is not a word. And then people are like, You still say it wrong if you say sentient. However, that is not correct. There are two pronunciations for this word, and they are sentient or sentient. There, sentient and sentient. Either one is A-OK. But once again, holy cow, people came out of the woodwork and said, you're saying it wrong. And I admit, I screwed up. So there we go. Two big screw-ups in the last episode. We're up front. We're transparent here. We screwed up, and I guarantee we will do it again. Episode 122 was stellar. No Vanessa and two major screw-ups. That's, hey, what are we going to do here today? What? How are we going to mess up today? So pay attention, people. It may have happened. I don't know what happened in the first five minutes of this show. We may have already screwed up, but I guess we'll find out. Um, but yeah, we we hope to ha- do a lot better this show because we're covering a lot of games this show, Tony. I mean, we're a gaming podcast, unlike the episode 122 where we went down our movie trail. Speaking of which, did you enjoy Baby Driver? <laughs> I like how you set that up. We are a gaming podcast instead of going down a movie trail. By the way, what do you think of Baby Drivers? <laughs> so I guess we're going down that uh, that rabbit trail. Uh, Baby Driver was awesome. I really enjoyed it. It is a fun action movie with style and pizzazz. Mm-hmm. I can say this because it's it's in the reviews and, and, and nobody will be spoiled by this. The way the music is integrated in the movie is spectacular. Spectacular. The music is an integral part 
of the movie, and that's what makes it so good. And I think Don and I are probably going to go see that. I know when our uh, movie episode, I was like, eh, who wants to go see? Nobody puts Baby in the Corner and all that good stuff. But man, it really does. It looks like a fun, fun movie to go check out. And saw uh, Spider-Man too. Have you seen it as a Spider-Man fanboy? I will see it, but I have not because... And during the summer, and we've talked about this last year, you go to the movies very seldom. I go a lot. But during the summer, I back off because they're crowded. The movie theaters are just crowded, and I, I don't like dealing with all the people there. So I will go see it probably in about a couple of weeks. I know when my daughter gets home, we'll go see Despicable Me 3. It's just something we have to do, and that's mm-hmm. that's fine. But anyway, yeah, I'm looking forward to Baby Driver. That does look – but the big one, Valerian, you know – Oh, that with a thousand planets. God, that's going to be so visually gorgeous. It, movie may stink, but it, it's just going to be a, a sensory overload. Yeah, and it's from the same people that did, or the same guy that did Fifth Element, you know, which has a certain style and look to it. Uh, look to it too. So I can't wait to see what's happening. And and Tony with uh, Spider Man, you you're right back in this movie contest. You are right back in it because you have already surpassed Transformers. Oh, about freaking time I got in this thing. I mean, really. Now, but will miracles never cease? Me getting back into the movie contest that we have going on and the fact that I played a social deduction game and liked it. Can you believe that? Yeah. And in fact, I got to play this game with you. And I remember when you brought it and said, we, let's let's check out this game. And I looked at it and went, eh. But actually, we played it a couple times, and I thought, okay, that's that's actually pretty good. And you can get this game in Target. It's Chameleon, for those who would like to know the name of the game, and you can pick it up at Target. And, I mean, Chameleon is by Big Potato Games. So they sent me this game, and they sent another one that I will um, we'll talk about at another episode. And then, Marty, that's so cool. They also sent me a little stuffy potato. He's a soft plushie. Wait, whoa, whoa, He's whoa, so whoa, cute. whoa. Whoa, you got a potato plushie? I got a potato plushie, man. He's cute. He sits out there in the shop with all the other games that we have waiting for the review, including automobiles and the new expansion automobiles and all that. But anyway. Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there. For any publishers that want to send us games to consider to review, a plushie goes a long way towards getting up the list. Marty wants a plushie. (laughs) Marty wants a plushie. Do you need a plushie? No, but Marty wants a plushie. So, um, Chameleon, Tony, how does Chameleon work? So it's the Chameleon. It was designed by Ricky Tata. I'm, so go ahead, people. Send me corrections on that. Like I said, it's by Big Potato. They're in Target. And it is a smash up, Marty, of code names. And then they bring in the Spyfall. So in Chameleon, you're going to roll two dice. And those people will know a code word. Based on a sheet. What, wait a minute. What What people? The people that are playing the game. Who else? I don't know. You're just throwing out things. I don't know what's going on here. So people have these sheets. You know, people have these sheets and they have dice combinations on them that will tell you where to look on a card that has a topic. Uh, the topic could be Disney princesses. Okay. Mm, okay. And now, but one person is the chameleon. His, when he flips it over, says, you're the chameleon. So you roll the dice. You look at the code word and you can give one word and it goes to the next person. You got your clues have to be such that the people who aren't chameleons know that you're the person. That you're I mean, that you're not the chameleon. So but you can't give an obvious one because the chameleon could then give a clue that would support it and no one will figure it out. And then it becomes a guessing game. Mm, okay. Or the chameleon may not have a clue. And everybody says, Oh, well, you're the chameleon. And you go, Yeah, that's right, but I know it's I think it's this word. And those people that had the code word 
still lose. Oh. So I don't know why this appealed to me, but I think mostly because it's a fast social deduction. You don't have to sit there and say, oh, you're, you're the spy. No, you're the spy. No, I don't know. And it moves faster than Spyfall, but it has a key element of code names. And I, that's what I liked. It, do you only go one round? Or multiple rounds. Uh, you can play by whoever scores five points. You can play multiple. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is only there's only one clue given? Like yeah. only each person gives one, and then you stop. Yes, exactly. Oh, okay. Where spy falls like the time thing, where it keeps going and going, going, going. Yeah. So we played with some uh, guys at the. Uh, at the game store. And I didn't think I was going to be that crazy about it, but it is kind of cool. You, you, like I said, you roll the dice and it's uh, one dies, the, uh, the row one, one dies, the column, and then you just, you know, match and see which word it is. But, w- but like Spyfall, I was the chameleon twice. And the bad thing about chameleon is you tend to stare mm-hmm. at the, the options or whatever. The same thing is here. When I was the chameleon, I was staring really hard at that paper because I didn't know which one it was. And if you see one person constantly staring at it, it may give it away that they're the chameleon because they're so intent on studying what's on that sheet, trying to take what one word clue you give and try to figure it out. That part was like, eh, that's still, that's the kind of issue I have a spy fall. But the fact that it does play faster, I like the single word clues, which are tough. Oh, yeah. They are tough to give those without giving it away. I, I enjoyed it, too. We all, when we were done, we all said, uh, let's play again. Yeah. And I mean, I played it with another group, and they weren't getting this concept of the single word. And the, the code word was Russia. And somebody splurted it out, vodka. And, and and we look around and we're like, okay, there's this says it was countries, and we're like, that's pretty obvious. So I was the chameleon, so I said cold, and everybody was like, oh, really? And so they, we they they couldn't figure out who was the chameleon. So so yeah, Target. I mean, sometimes you find those little gems at Target. Big potato. Give it a look. See, few episodes we covered Century from Plan B. Plan B is a brand new game studio. Got some big name designers on board like Emerson Matsuuchi and Matt Leacock. They just had a pretty big announcement, Tony. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah. They purchased Eckertspiel, which is based in Germany. Now, Eckertspiel, they make some really good Euro games. Yeah, they make some games. And in fact, mm-hmm. they make games. <laughs> and in fact, Stronghold has brought over several Eckerdspiel games in the past. I mean, they have games such as Animals on Board and Great Western Trail, Mombasa. Yeah. Uh, Camel Up, G. Cole Baron. It's like a big, big company. And so now Plan B has purchased those. And actually, uh, Plan B has set up a uh, an office in Germany to kind of run it. And I thought, that that's a pretty bold move for a company just right out of the gate. It's like, hey, we're a brand new company. Hey, we're buying Eckertspiel. Hey, we're going to be bringing these games over. And it's like, that's pretty cool. But I am wondering what Bonacore thought about this because he had some Great Western Trail was a big game for him last year. Uh, yes, and I know that on another show I heard them say Bonacore could not be reached for comment. Probably because well he was you know enjoying the Dice Tower Con or something. Who that just goes to show you that they are on the backs of the working man. If it wasn't for the success of Emerson, Masuzi, and Century. Could they have done this? No, I tell you, sir. No, they couldn't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's the case or not. But Plan B, I think, is one of those games that uh, last episode we talked about Renegade. Like, man, Renegade's like 
come out of the gates is on fire. I think plan B has the potential to be the same sort of small publisher type, like on fire with everything that they come out with. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. And I don't know that I'm just making. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, thanks for your, I hear you. Hey, what? I hear you had something special in the mail. Oh my gosh. For years, Tony, you've been asking me on this show every once in a while. By the way, did you ever get your Arkham Horror dice that you ordered from Kickstarter? Tony, I finally finally got them. I know, and I do that just to rub salt in the wound. I just, because it's funny. Four years ago, the place, it was like when Eldritch Horror came out, it's like, man, I need a lot more dice. Oh, look, there's a Kickstarter with these really cool looking dice for the, uh, they're blue and red and green like you'd use in the game. Ordered them, and then... There was some financial problems with the person that was delivering, and he fell behind. He realized he did not charge the right amount of money. But to his credit, he has spent the past years, little by little, fulfilling all the orders until he met his commitment. So kudos to him for doing it. I know I complained about it taking so long, but at least I got them. They look great. They feel great, and I I can't wait to use them in a game of Elder Char later on. They're they're really good. So basically what I'm hearing is, thank goodness Halloween's around the corner because that's about the only time you break that game out. All the Lovecrafting games come out around Halloween, but yes, for sure, Elder Char. Well, you know, that game takes a little bit of time, so big investment on, on sitting down and playing that game. So yeah, it definitely is around Halloween, and this time I'll have dice that I can hand out to everybody that they can use without sharing one pool of dice. Speaking of that, everybody is invited to Marty's house for the big Halloween bash that Vanessa's going to throw together like she did for his 50th birthday. So come on down. We'll be happy to host you here in Charlotte and you can just invade Marty's house and then... but get your tent set up outside because he's not going to host you in the house. Keep in mind, just you can come in and play maybe. Aren't you? Wow, Vanessa will be thrilled thrilled <laughs> that you just did that i'm teasing guys i am i'm looking forward to that when you told me that she was planning that again i was like yes i'm gonna go ahead and get this on the calendar i'm excited for this i love the name she's given it booby q hey we're fa- hey, family family friend that's that that sounded wrong <laughs> let me try that again with some pauses between boo BQ. There you go. Like barbecue, but uh, yeah. My apologies. So anyway, yes, we're going to have a big uh, uh, barbecue here, and we're going to be up playing Halloween games all day long. So Vanessa's already started down that path, and I'm really excited to uh, do that. So, yep, got the dice ready to go for the Elder Char game. That will be coming out for sure on that day. And you said you put it on the calendar, but I know a date has not been picked yet, so you really don't know what date put on well it's not hard it's around halloween (laughs) so i think i can kind of guess no well yeah so block out the whole month for me that would be fantastic i know but enough about this enough about this enough about enough about this fun that we're talking about we need to get to a review do we yes we do (laughs) okay uh which one you want to do first let's talk about one that is Coming back to the table after a long hiatus, Restoration Games is bringing back Downforce. And by the way, Marty, I don't know if you've heard this, but every game deserves another turn. Have you heard that? It's on every box. Brilliant slogan. Brilliant. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, 
one. Downforce is a car-driven bidding, racing, and betting game for two to six players based on the game Top Race by legendary designer Wolfgang Kramer. I mean, players first bid to own the six cars in the race. Then they play cards from their hand to speed them around the track. However, most cards will also move their opponent's cards. So figuring out just the right time to play a card is key to victory, man. Let me tell you, you got to know when to do that. Along the way, players make secret bets on who they think will win the race because whoever has the most money from the prize money, winning bets, and remaining bank wins. And that's downforce. Okay, you did that really, really well. Were you like reading that off BGG or something? Yes. And I think for future reference, I'm going to do the same thing. (laughs) Hey, that was a nice, uh, concise explanation right there, because really the rules are pretty darn straightforward. You've got this big, big, gorgeous racetrack board on the, on the table, uh, broken up into spaces and each turn, somebody's going to play a card and you're going to start at the top of the card. It's going to tell you, move this color card, this number of spaces and work your way down till you're done. And you keep going around till, well, basically all the cars finish. You mentioned that beautiful board. That's a pro for me that some of the artwork and the And I know we talk about box art very little on this show, but I love what Restoration Games has done with that foil embossment. I mean, it's just gorgeous. It it really, the colors pop. I love the little cards. I thought that was really nice in this game. Let me tell you, uh, Restoration Games, if the rest of their games are like this, they are putting out a Cadillac of games because we're talking thick thick cardboards used for the board, huge board. The cars are plastic cars. They're super nice. The cards have a nice feel to them. Top notch production from them. So if that's, if this setting the standard with downforce, I can't wait to see what else they do, but getting back to the game, Tony, uh, the thing is though, as a car owner, you probably think, Oh, I got to make sure my cars win the race or I'm not going to win. That's not necessarily the case because three times during the game, you're going to cross a betting line. And at that point, play stops and everybody secretly picks which car they think is going to finish first, even if it's not their own. And if they're right at the end of the game, they get money towards that. I mean, yeah, it's very reminiscent of Camel Up in that respect. And everybody's familiar with that. So if you like Camel Up, you definitely need to take a look at this game. Now, Marty, another thing I really liked about the strategy is when you were talking about playing those cards was that if you move them in a certain way, you you can create a log jam. Ha! Lumberjack. Mm-hmm. Log jam. Bam! That was meta right there. Yeah, and, and the cards can't move, and that can really mess up other owners. I also really enjoyed those special abilities that players are also bidding on. Not only to own the cards, you can add this in, but that during the game is special abilities will come into play. And some of those are pretty sweet. Yeah, so like, for example, one is you can reserve, uh, you can resolve your card from the bottom up instead of top down. Or if one of the cars that you own is the first car listed at the top of the card, you get to move an extra space. So there's all these cool abilities that just add to it. And Tony, like you said, the, uh, the pitch points in the corner is what's cool because as you go around the corners, there's less uh, spaces uh, width-wise so that all the cars may not be able to pass. And like you said, that's where the strategy comes in of trying to decide, okay, do I go ahead and use waste this card here, knowing this car is not going to get by this pack? After we were all done, it's just one of those things where everybody just said, that was fun. That was just a fun experience. It plays fast. The rules are simple. It's easy to pick up. The gore, uh, 
The board is gorgeous. They got a hit with this one, man. Yeah, I agree. Now, my one concern is, now you get money from owning a car. Yeah, we all know that. Yes. But if someone, could they tank it? No, not really, because it's really to your advantage to get your car in the top finish. I mean, you got to do that. There's no reason to sandbag here. No, but actually that is one of my concerns is because when you're only playing with four or five people, all the cars are used. So some people may own more than one car. They got a big target on their back at that point, because if they finished higher in the race, they're going to get two payouts. So that's something else that you got to consider too. Playing with six players is sweet. When everybody owns one car, oh, so good. Restoration games, this is a hit for me. I love this game. Non-gamers can play it. Hardcore gamers can play it. Uh, it's, a, it's a keeper for me, Tony. And for me, it's going to be one that I would put on my shelves as well. Five minute initiative is complete. You heard me talk about on a previous show about my buyer's remorse for picking up Gloomhaven and how I am dreading that come going forward of getting that game out and setting it up and then putting it all away. Well, the broken token has come to my rescue. Thank da, you. Da, da, da. Da, 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 the broken token. They are releasing a marvelous insert for Gloomhaven. They are taking pre-orders right now. So if you want and are getting Gloomhaven in August, September, whenever it arrives, and you want to be ready for that, head over to thebrokentoken.com and be sure to get your pre-orders in because you know that they are going to be selling those things like flatjacks. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Capstone Games is bringing over a new version of Lignum from designer Alexander Humor. And this is a pretty sophisticated, strategic, long Euro game, Tony. And now that I think about it, I'm wondering if this is may take more than five minutes to talk about. I know this is going to take more than five minutes. I mean, we've got videos out there to watch you and teach you how to play on the web that are four hours. So I don't think we can squeeze this in in five minutes. So why don't you do this? Why don't you turn off the clock and let's just talk about this game. All right. Clock has been stopped. Got it. All right. Lignum was released in 2015 and is actually, Tony, nominated for the 2016 <clears throat> Y Yogo do Ano? Oh, nice try there, Marty. Nice try. It's an epic fail. Somebody correct me. This game was nominated with a lot of other big games from that year, including Grand Austria Hotel, Mombasa, Tricarian, and The Voyages of Marco Polo. So this is in a class, you know, with, uh, with a lot of other really good games. At its core... Lignum is a game about the logging industry in the 19th century. As a woodcutter, your, your task is to prevail against your competitors and collect the most money after two years. Lignum, you know, Tony, which is the Latin for wood, is a game for lovers of complex strategy games. After cutting and transporting your wood, don't think your job is finished yet. You still got to optimize your entire processing chain and have fun doing it. See, I can read off BGG too. I was going to ask you, that's pretty darn good for you without having to go back and redo all the rules. So, but then again, it also took you almost our whole, you know, if we had been doing a five minute, we would have been there. But hey, 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 you took just as much time in the downforce reading your little thing. Fine. So, yes. Um, first off, what I like about this game for me, 
is the fact that you don't, it's not the most victory points is the winner. This is key. <laughs> no, it is not. It is. Uh, there, Tony, there's not even a victory point in this game. No, there's not. There's no victory points in this game. It's money, people. Stuff you can hold in your hands. Okay, yeah, it's victory points. But what is money? <laughs> victory points equals money. <laughs> That's it. And when I started researching this game, Marty, I was like, oh my gosh, these videos are long and oh, this rule book. Wait, it's not that bad. No, no. And in fact, that's kind of one beef I have with with titling some of these games as heavy euros. Uh, to me, heavy scares off people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it really does this guy. Oh, look at this. It's really complex. I don't feel like having to learn it. Blah, blah, blah. No, no. Let me tell you, anybody listening to this show can play this game. Now, you may not like playing a three-hour game, which is totally valid, but don't let this term is heavy, scare you away. This is just a very strategic game and it just takes a little while to play. But the rules, like Tony said, are pretty darn straightforward. I mean, you're playing over the course of two years. So you're going to be playing basically eight rounds and each season or round is broken up into two phases. Now, it's thinky. Anybody can play, but you've got to think. You've got to prepare. You've got to think your strategy because this game's tight. It is not one of those that is going to be very forgiving, in my opinion, if you're not being very proactive in your thoughts, in your preparedness, in your getting ready to harvest trees out of the forest and deforestate the world and make us all go into global climate change. Wow, this got political all of a sudden. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. So yeah, one of the neat things for me, Marty, was how the forest got populated. You know, at the beginning, other than the first round, you know, we drew these cards that that populated it, and players then picked secretly the forest that they were going to go cut the trees down. Yeah, it was from one of six different forests, and everybody picked a token, either one through six. And then you flipped them over, and uh, you you put your marker there, indicating this is where I'm going to, you know, go cut down some trees. But the thing is, though, you might end up in the forest with somebody else. Well, how can that happen? You Well, the first, there may be plenty of trees there, then both of you go there. Or there may be, because there's three types of wood there. There's the hardwoods, and the, there's the softwood, and then what I called the firewood. So basically, you have those three types of woods, and they're all very important. So that's making your decision. And you may be fighting with someone else. And then there's this element called food. I don't want to get into it right now, Marty. Let's we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it later. But there's also food in the forest, right? Yes, and I'm just oh, but there's food that helps. Five you minute make it. initiative is complete. What's that oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. Kill the clock. Kill it. My bad, man. That's okay. Oh, okay. So back to what we were talking about. So after everybody picks out in the forest, this game has an element that I love, and that is a path. It's in Great Western Trail. It's in Francis Drake. I love games that implement the path structure where people are going down a path. And on that path where you stop, you'll either collect something if you're the first person there or where there may be other people and you can all buy things. I like that feature in a game. And and when you when this was put out on the table, I was like, man, Marty, I'm liking this already. Yeah, because at the very the first half of the game is you're traveling the supply path. You've got to go around this path and you've got to get, well, you got to get some workers that'll do some stuff for you. You need somebody to cut down trees. You need somebody that's going to carry those trees. You're going to need somebody that's going to saw those trees and, and, and mill those 
those trees. And you need ways to carry those trees with carts. I mean, there's these other little different things that you need. And you get that by, like Tony said, going around a path. But Tony, like those other games you mentioned, you can only go one direction. And once you pass space, you can't go back. But you can move as far as you want. And if there's something you really want, you may leapfrog ahead of a lot of other people to get to something. But you may have just skipped over something you might need in the future. Question to you, Marty. You talked about people that got to carry the trees down, and those were the bearers, not like little bears in the wood. These were bearers, people that had to carry the lumber or drive the horses or move the rafts down the river. They were before the woodcutters. Thematically, I'm like, well, the guys in the forest, I should collect them first because I need to know how many people I'm going to cut down the trees. I didn't understand why the bearer was first in that path. It didn't make sense to me at first. Well, Tony. Well, Marty. It just it, it just so happened that when you talked about this, I said, why not go to the source? I contacted the designer of the game, Alexander Humor. And the first thing he said to me was, who are you guys and how did you get my contact information? So after I uh, talked him down from making a call to Interpol, I asked him, I said, just out of curiosity, thematically, why do the bearers appear on the map before the woodcutters? And I'll quote. Now he's Austrian, so I can't say it in his real cool. And please Austrian don't, accent. please don't try. Don't don't insult people. <laughs> no, I, I will not insult any Austrian or him that are listening to us. So just imagine my accent is Austrian. Okay, put on an Austrian filter. <clears throat> maybe maybe a little bit of Austrian music in the background will help. Hold on, hold on. There we go. Okay, all right, we got that. <clears throat> Basically, it's a design decision. It's not that important that the bears are before the woodcutters because you know exactly how many woodcutters you can hire because of the cutting area. Basically, you need one woodcutter per wood that you cut. And woodcutters very seldom run out. They're very plentiful. The more important thing is, is where's the cart? Now, Tony, we talked about you're going to need carts to carry your stuff, right? Yeah. And those carts appear on the trail randomly each round. He says, because if the cart is after the bears... Uh, mostly because there's only three locations on the path before the bears, then, you know, you're going to have to make some decisions. You're going to have to think about maybe having a plan B. And so he was trying to create situations to where he wants you to have to make some tough decisions as you play this game. And the more I talked to him, I realized that he didn't want you to have an easy decision, Tony. He wants it to be thinky and for you to have to do some planning. And after a lot of playtesting, he found out that having the bears earlier provided those extra decision points for you. And, and I can appreciate that after playing the game and sitting there thinking, okay, I can see how that is. Thematically, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, but you know, I, I see his point there because you really do. You have to say, okay, am I going to be able to get that cart? And am I going to be able to store that on my board for later use? Yeah, I can see that. And that's once again, it's one of those things that you've really got to push your decisions on that. And I appreciate that. I like that. So that's pretty cool. And I like how the fact that the cart has oxen and you need to get some food for the ox. That's pretty cool, Alan. But that's not the only way you can transport. Along the path, you could also pick rafts, yeah, uh, which you can use to transport down the river. And we'll talk about how that works in a second. Or you could just have guys carry it for you. Or during the wintertime, you need a, a basically a, was a sled. A sled, mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for carrying some wood. Now, there was, this, there was this one unique thing, Tony, that you talk about all the planning you have to make. Uh, you remember that one place where you could do pre-planning? 
You remember those tokens you had, like one, two, and three, and you could select a card off the side of the board that would give you an ability, but you have to plan for it in future seasons? Yep, the planned um, work, yes. Yes, planned work. There's a different work that you could plan to make things easier for you down the road. And they would have certain requirements. So what, uh, for example, it was like, if I put a two on one of these planned work cards, it means in two seasons, I can take advantage of that card, but I got to make sure I have the requirements matching for it. So again, a lot of planning has to be uh, done in advance. And again, this game is all about planning. You've got to look ahead, people. You got to decide if I'm going to get some money at the end of this game, how in the world am I going to have my wood milled? How am I going to get it to the shop? How am I going to get it cut down? You got to kind of almost work backwards. It's like, here's how I generate money. How do I get to that point? And from there, you kind of decide, okay, I'm going to need this many cutters. I'm going to need this many bears. I'm going to need all the way down. And right there, Marty, this is where I really, okay, I screwed up the game twice, but this is number one. I really messed this up. I didn't use the planned work. But if you think through this and what he was trying to achieve, that you will benefit if you think far enough ahead. I like that. I like how that falls into the theme of the game that, hey, you know, if you plan your work, you will, instead of just getting four pieces of firewood, you'll get six when you take it down to the mill and put the saw guy on it. Okay, the sawyer. Okay, the chain. I wish they had chainsaws. Chainsaws would have been cool. <laughs> it's a little too early for that. It was just regular. Laws. 19th century here, so no, no chainsaws yet. Right. So as we move, we continue to move down the track. We pick up our woodcutters. And, yep. and then, of course, along the track, there's also the Sawyers. Uh, S-A- uh-huh. not, as in Tom, not as in Tom Sawyer or Huck Finn. No, nope, we're doing some milling for you. They, yeah, they got to cut the wood down. But before you get there, there are orders that you can pick up. You can take a contract a task and say, okay, I will produce this type of wood and that'll get me my coinage, which I need for my winning the game. Which is a big money producing element of the game, right? I mean, it's all, it's like objectives, right? It's basically, I'm going to pick up an objective card and it tells me on here, I need to have this type of wood, this type of wood. And if I complete this by the end of the game, I will get X amount of money. Which is my second major screw up when I played this game. That's, <laughs> that's uh, okay. Uh, I understand that. Now, there's no penalty for not filling orders other nope. than... You had to pay a coin to get a contract, and second, any wood you put on that that you fail to complete the card, then you cannot take it off. So you've really got to plan how you're going to fill those orders in future rounds. I was ready to pop the Advil by the end of this game. Oh, man, I'm I'm looking forward to playing it again. One playthrough will get you the idea of what you need to do. Second one, you'll get better. Third one, you'll get a lot better. Exactly. This game does take multiple plays. And I think if we keep playing with the same people over and over, this game won't be a three-hour game. We'll be flying through this game. And in fact, there's a phase coming up where we'll talk about why uh, that's the case in a second. Also along the path, you're going to be able to pick uh, these little tokens that you can use to build huts. If you get uh, uh, three different types of uh, tokens, you can build a hut. And a hut gives you special abilities. It like, gives you an extra worker that you can use. Because you all everybody gets one mill worker that can count as anything. It's like a wild card, Tony. It could be a cutter. It could be a bear. It could be a sawyer, uh, which, is, which is a nice option to have. Well, having these hut tokens gives you some advantage of that also allows you to advance your drying, which we'll talk about in a second. And the last one is to collect unclaimed food in the forest, which, which is always needed. Cause I, we're going to be talking about food in a second because Tony has to talk about that. 
And before you finish this thing, you're going to go to the market because, Tony, if you didn't happen to pick up any saws on the way around the supply path, then you better buy some saws. That's right. And you also better buy some food. All right. Here we go. We haven't even made it to phase two of the game yet. And one of the things about this game that kind of, I'm going to go ahead and mention this con for me, is that at the winter phase, at the winter round, you have to heat your workers and you also have to feed your workers. A very Rosenberg type thing. Yes. <laughs> on, on, <laughs> on this feeding thing. What? They got hungry. They got to eat. Okay. They're in the woods. They can drop a tree on a deer. I think for me, I understand the reasons for it. And I know you contacted the developer and this What's is... What's that? Oh, I contacted the developer, yeah, and asked about why is there food? I think it, I lost my concentration on the game worrying about the food because of just how heavy that penalty was. If you didn't have enough food, you had to pay three coin for one you could, didn't have, right? Yeah, and coin is important. It's not only the victory points, but it, you also needed to buy the stupid workers, which you also need to buy the task, which I failed to do, <laughs> which you had... Oh, oh. So anyway... What did he say about the food before I really began to rant? Again, it's about creating more decisions for the player. He wanted them to have to decide which wood area am I going to go to. Maybe this one area doesn't have the right, exactly the right wood I need, but it has more food. So in that process at the beginning where you're selecting where you want to go, it may drive you to that certain area. You can use food to do some extra transporting in the winter uh, with the sledge, which is is useful. And there's also, it becomes more important in the expansion. Now, this is kind of cool, too. The expansion for this game is included in the base game provided by Capstone Games. And that's really cool of them to do that. So you have the base game, you have the expansion. He said the food uh, is, is also has some other elements in there, too. But I think thematically, Tony, it was you got to feed, you got to heat. So we're going to throw some food in there. But I do have a, a quick question for you, though. You remember in Lorenzo El Magnifico, how you had to, uh, you had the religion track yes. that you had to satisfy, you got hurt. Mm -hmm. Why didn't that bother you as much as this? Because for me, I knew that if I moved up there, I was going to take a penalty in Lorenzo, but it was my choice and I could weigh the option on how much it would hurt me. Is it really because of how my strategy and how my cards were being set up? Here, I felt like the food was just driving home a thing that says, listen, you've got to really consider this because if you don't, we're going to hurt you at the end of the game with the victory points. We're going to hurt you in your ability to collect beginning the next round. And I really felt like it was a constant worry in the game. I didn't feel that way with Lorenzo. I didn't think that the religion track impacted me that much. I chose not to pay off the church, and I didn't ha I didn't feel that impacted by it. And it, and it was interesting. Remember from uh, the review, I had an issue with it, but I don't have an issue with the food, having to pay the food in here. So it's just interesting how you and I uh, looked at this totally different. Imagine that. We looked at something different. And, <laughs> and I mean, there's... Uh, I understand it, and I understand that he needed it to help make the decision on which wood area you want to go cut at. I understand that. That put in the competition. That put the tension in the bidding for the forest area where you want to claim the wood. Also, that, wood, that food was only one coin apiece, so you needed to generate some coin in case, if, in case you need to buy some. Yeah, so once again, you had to buy the food if you weren't getting it. Do you know what? That's what this game is. Again, the rules are straightforward. They are really, really straightforward. There's just a lot of decisions you got to make over the course of the game. And then after the market, you're basically going to end up end your trail. And the first one 
off of the trail will be the last one to go at the beginning of the next round. So that also determines player order. And then the second phase, Tony, is basically where you resolve all that stuff that you just got. Right. You're going out there. You're going to go out and collect the wood out of your forest. Okay, that's pretty cool. You decide how many woodcutters did you go purchase? That's how many wood discs you get to collect. Now, depending on who the first person, if you're competing in a land, the first person out of the forest gets to collect his wood first. Makes a lot of sense to me. I like that. And now we've got a phase where we transport our wood down the river. Actually, you pick up your wood off the river because you transported it earlier in the previous season. This is one of those things, again, pre-planning. The next phase after this is the transportation where you transport. Use carts to move wood. Uh, you You use people to move wood. Or you can use rafts to put wood on the river, but that wood does not become available to you until the next season at this part. So that's what that's, that's all about, but it's cheap to move wood on the river. I don't understand the use of rafts because wood floats, but okay. (laughs) Oh, you just blew my mind. What are rafts made of? Wood. Oh my gosh. Canoes are made of wood. Wow, that's that's deep. I didn't even think about that. But either way, I, I kind of get that. I mean, th- this is a little nit, and I'm not trying to... The man had designed a very elegant, tight game here that requires thinking. I mean, we've transported... Well, okay, we've put the wood on the river. We've transported it down. The next next thing we've got to do is we've got to process the, wa- the wood. We either cut it up to make it firewood or we put it in our storage area so that we can age it. We've got to do that. Depends on how many people we got with saws because, well, you got to get the sawyer and you got to have the number of saws that you need to cut up the wood. So there's some decision-making there because if you, oh, I mean, there's a lot to do here. A lot. Yeah. So like I said, do you take the raw wood that you have and just sell it immediately? Do you process it with a sawyer and a saw in order to stick it into the area to dry to make it worth more money? You need to save off firewood because you're going to have to use that in the wintertime. And then after that, you got your those objective cards, those tasks we talk about. You can fulfill those. And then you're actually going to sell at that point. Hey, I'm going to try to make some money. I need some money next time to get that food that I didn't get previously because Tony's complaining about it. So you can sell off any wood that you have. And then the very last phase is you can actually put your wood into drying. The more the wood is dried, the more it's worth uh, when you sell it. There's a couple stages of drying and one the most... Uh, the, the second stage of drying gives you extra an extra two coins per wood sold. After you finish that, then you've actually finished that round. But Tony, I talked about speeding up. All those phases we just talked about, starting with the wood cutting, can actually be done simultaneously. You can say, okay, everybody resolve the wood cutting. Everybody resolve the transportation. Everybody resolve this. And you know, you just do it simultaneously. We were kind of taking taking turns doing it, but that's where this game will really speed up once you really know it. Yeah, and I agree that it's one of those things that we're just like, okay, I've got this, 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 this. I trust everybody's doing it right. Well, we thought everybody was doing it right because when you use your saw, the blade gets dull. Uh-huh, that's correct. And so unless you have some way in this game to sharpen the saw, which you don't, then you've got to buy a new saw. Unless you are at Mark Kell's camp. (laughs) 
one of our one of our gaming buddies. Yes, the man's sitting over there with fifty saws, and we're like, <laughs> "What is he doing?" We said, "Get him!" No, you didn't. Yeah, we did. You, well, why does this all dull out here? I love when when you learn games. I always love those little things. I do it. You do it. Where it's something just like, "Oh man, we re- somebody really messed this up." It's like, "Oops, we screwed that up." Oh. What's interesting though, we talk about you're gonna play through the uh, spring, the summer, the fall. The winter is a little bit different. Tony, there's snow on the trail. You can't be cutting down trees. So actually you skip to like a little shortened phase where you do a, a shortened phase of that, where you have to feed your people and stuff like that. So you're not gathering supplies at that point. And then you start a new year. And after that second year, you're going to count up your money. You're going to sell off anything that you still had in your dryers or in your uh, uh, in your mill area. And uh, most money wins. Yeah. Okay. So this winter phase not that there's anything wrong with it. So let me understand this. So these people that I've hired in the other three seasons are, are too busy eating my food Correct. and not getting out there and doing any work. What's up with that? Yeah. So pretty much is uh, they're eating your food and they only eat in the wintertime. So for me, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. This game is, is enjoyable. It's very thinky. It's got some great parts to it that I really enjoy. I love the path. I like the fact that it is so tight. The game actually does play very fast and is very easy to teach. It's getting that strategy across to people. I think it takes a lot of time and effort to do that and make sure people are processing correctly. However, I will say I am fine with you keeping this game on your shelf, Marty. Matter of fact, in order to make room on your shelf, um, why don't you let me have Lorenzo at my house? I'll put that on my shelf and you keep Lignum on yourself. That's very fair. I think this is a very, very solid Euro game. And even though it's considered a heavy game, I again wish there was another term. I don't like that term. I think it discriminates uh, against certain games because people are like, but not anything to do with it. This game is easy. This game is easy to pick up. Somebody can teach it to you really quick. The breadth of the game is in the decisions that you have to make each round. There is a lot of planning that you have to do. You have to be prepared for future rounds to make sure that you have the supplies that you need in order to mill the wood that's getting ready to come off the river or make sure you have people that can carry the wood that's getting ready to come out of the forest. That's the thinky part of the game that I really like. And if you like that thinky element to a game, you need to go check out Lignum from Capstone Games. It is it is out now. I saw it Origins. Don't be intimidated by it. If you walk by the table and see it, it's a lot of little bits and pieces. But once you see it for what it is, you'll see that, oh, I can sit down and play this. If you're willing to give two or three hours to it, then I highly re- recommend checking out Lignum and designer Alexander Humor. And Alex, thank you so much for answering my questions, and I I won't bother you again. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Indulgence is a remake, because that's what Restoration Games does, of a game that actually came out in the early 1900s, also showed up as Coup de Tet from Jerry Darcy in the 50s, came out later as another game in the 80s, but now it's a game where you as players will be taking tricks. It's a simple trick-taking game. There's four suits in the game, cards range from one to nine, and it's regular trick-taking rules. Person leads, you must follow suit. After the end of the hand, whoever's the highest of that number wins the trick. But Tony... There's a twist, and with every good game, there's a twist, because there's a ruler who, at the beginning of each round, 
will choose one edict or one rule that everybody must follow. And if they don't, guess what, Tony? The ruler gets some money. That's right, money. Because guess what? I think that's how you win the game, isn't it? Oh, I think it is. It is the one with the most money. But you know what? What about if uh, there's somebody out there that says, well, I don't want to follow your rules? Then they are sinners. Plain and simple. Yes, they are. Oh, they're, they're sad sinners. And if they can do the exact opposite, then they get a really big benefit of scoring points. It's one of those things where the players are sitting there competing against the ruler or it quickly turns and everybody's competing back against somebody else. It's oh, so much fun. It, it, so much it fun. Is, it is really cool. Yeah. And the edicts are really straightforward. There's like four suits in the game. And, and one of the edicts, of, one of the ones may be like, don't take the first and last trick. So the ruler says, none of you can take the first and last trick. And if you do, you give me money or don't take any of the green cards. If you do, you're going to give me money for each green card you take. But Tony, like you said, somebody could have like a certain hand where maybe they could take all the green cards and they say, well, I'll be the center. And I think I can take them all. And if they do, they get a big reward. For me, I think one of the big things about this game that I enjoyed was that dual play of either you don't or you do. I like that. That shooting the moon concept. I love that when you play it in hearts, you know, mm-hmm. where, where everybody's got to watch for that. And it quickly turns. Now, one of the things is in hearts, when someone's trying to do that, you quickly pick up on it. Here, it's up front. I will be doing that. So you've got to really make that work. Right. And you got to understand card plays. This, but, but the game's not that hard. It's not that difficult. It's easy to count your cards, to know where things are going. And you can quickly determine based on what's in your hand whether or not you'll be able to do that. Now, people can all pass and not be sinners. And like you said, I mean, the, the ruler is the, the main man there. But once again, points win this game. And I really enjoyed that aspect. Of the, the artwork was beautiful. Love those cards. All the cards are dead off the beginning. A ruler makes his rule. And then after all the cards are played, you pass to the left and there's a new ruler. After everybody has been ruler three times, the game is over. Person with the most money wins. Tony, the the cool thing about this, like you said, when you're the ruler, you're going to look at your hand and you're probably going to pick an edict that you think people will fail at. And as soon as you pick it, everybody looks at their hands and then goes, yeah, okay, I, I, I think I can follow that rule. But like you said, as soon as somebody says, we know I'm going to sin, then your whole gameplay totally changes. So instead of like, I'm not going to take any of those, it goes to be, well, no, I'm now going to try to take one of them so I can keep the center from doing it. Interesting that you said it that way, because in my mind, I was sitting there thinking, okay, when I'm looking at these edicts, I'm thinking the opposite of this. How can I make sure no one else can do that? Mm, Okay. I got it. And I guess that's the same way if you really think about about it. But th- yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Oh, I love that one edict. It was that you will take no sixes. I'm like, wow, that's a, yeah. that's, that was a toughie. <laughs> no sixes or take no twos and threes. There's a whole bunch of different edicts, which makes the game different every time. Uh, they give you some extra edicts. They're a little bit more advanced that uh, you can use during the game. And the person who sins actually gets this cool ring, which is the indulgence ring, where you can actually increase the value of the card one time to make sure that you're going to take that trick. Well, that's important because I was able to use that to make sure I ran a suit on all of you. I won. Okay, plain and simple. So I love the game. For me, I like trick-taking games. I like hearts. I like spades. I like little trick-taking games with a twist. This is it. Again, another big hit from Restoration Games. Five-minute initiative is complete. (laughs) 
Tony, I see him out in the wild. What's that? First Martians are starting to show up at people's houses. If you pre-ordered from Portal, they're coming out. In fact, I saw Ignacy post a picture of all these boxes that are being shipped out across the world for First Martians. The app is out. You can go get the app and you can play with it. I know that Rodney Smith from Watch It Played is creating a video so that you can learn how to play. This will be in your hands soon. So if you're interested in First Martians, you'll if you pre-ordered it, you'll have it soon. If not, it'll be in your stores. Go pick it up today. Go check out portalgames.pl. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Marty and I got to play a new game from Osprey games called Lost Expedition. Hey, Marty, I got it out. I thought for sure that I was going to flub that one up. How could you flub up Lost Expedition? I don't know. You should have seen me trying to say it with Donna. I was saying expeditiously, expedition. So, Well, at least it's not sentient. Yes, or sentient or what? Either one. Either one. So Lost Expedition, that you are playing a card-based game where you are trying to get to the lost city of Z. Now, this game is designed by Pierre Sylvester, and he is out to crush your soul with this game. I mean, this is brutal, Marty. This is almost grizzled brutal. What do you think? You think it's that, that brutal? It is a tough game. There is a lot of thinking in this game. I think probably more so than grizzled because you're trying to plan out your actions. Each of these cards have icons on them. Some of them are choices that you can make in the icons that you uh, are presented to you. Some of them you must do. Some of them are optional. But they're giving resources. They're taking resources. They're trying to damage your explorers. All your explorers die. The game is over. It is brutal, but it's thinky brutal. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, they're trying to damage. They will damage you. That's it. Plain and simple. You're going. If you can make it to the lost city of El Dorado with just one person, you have achieved something. Now, Marty, when you played this, I know you played it solo. I have played it both solo and multiplayer. Did you make it? Did you win? No, I never did. I think the furthest I've got was three or four sites in because there's nine sites that you're trying to get through in a normal game and you have a hand of cards and they're numbered one through 60. And when you play a card, during there's a day phase and night phase. In the day phase, as you play cards, you must put them in numerical order. And once the cards are out, you resolve from left to right. So that's where the planning comes in. If you see that down the road that you're going to require a bullet resource that has to be spent... You want to try to put a card before it that will give you one to make up for it or at least one after it so that you can make up for the one that you just spent. There's these, all those kinds of give and take that you were trying to resolve. And some of those cards actually have the icon for moving along the path. That's the one you want to resolve because that's how you get to the end. Now, what's neat about these things on resolving, the yellow ones, you have to resolve them. The red ones, you get to pick which one you want to resolve. And that's a brutal decision at times because sometimes you need resources. And like Marty just said, sometimes these red ones will let you move down the path. Now, the blue ones are optional. You don't have to do those, but man, they provide some good benefits. And so how do you pay for all this? Like Mark said, there's ammo that comes into play. There's food that comes into play. Now, the expertise on these cards of, of knowledge and navigation, all that comes into play in how you, how you resolve the cards. I like how when you put them out there and, and playing the single player, Marty, I really like that aspect of you're going to be playing out of the six cards, you'll be playing three during the day. 
and you're mm-hmm. going to play those out there, and then you're going to be drawing from the pile, and you're going to arrange them in order, like you were saying. And then when it becomes night, you got to pay a food, and then you'll go out and play the cards again. And and this time, the, you can decide on do you play a card to the left or to the right, and play six more cards. As that was, yeah, really, they don't have to be in numerical order at night. And then in, and then when you play multiplayer then you've got the ability to work together, put them in numerical order. That was really neat. But then I also like the fact that there is a mode where there are two people trying to get to El Dorado. I didn't get to play that. Um, Let's just call it arcade mode for the fun of it. The competitive mode. I can't wait to try that with this game. That's one plus for me is there's a solo mode. There's a co-op mode. There's a competitive mode, all the same cards, and they all kind of work the same way. Look, I like playing Fridays. Friday is one of those games that I'll sit at work and and, and play, and it's kind of like a little deck building game. This is a different type of game where you got to do a lot of planning and, and strategizing with the cards. So great solo game. Co-op game is good. I like it. I'll keep it. All right. And to wrap this up for me, I enjoyed the game. Now, would I play it over Friday? Definitely, because Friday's the only solo player. But, you know, it's so brutal. Sometimes I wonder, will I ever come off my shelf? So for me, I'm glad I got it. But will it stay on my shelf? Only time will tell. Five-minute initiative is complete. Well, Tony, how do you end a big episode like this? I'll tell you how. We're going to have a contest. You want to have a contest? I think for making people listen this long, yeah, we need to have a contest. We should pay them back. Once again, give, 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 give. We are thrilled to have uh, Cryptozoic provide some prizes for us to give out to everybody. And these are games that are brand spranking. spranking. What's a sprank? They're, Is they're like spranking a new. Is that like it's a spanks? It's like spanks. I need to wear spanks. They're brand spanking new from Cryptozoic. And we're going to give away their three games. Attack on Titan, The Last Stand, which I got to play at the uh, International Tabletop Day at Geek and Sundry. And we talked about that. Train Heist which we reviewed earlier in the year, the little co-op train game, and the game Rick and Morty Anatomy Park, the game, which we have not talked about because I don't know anything about Rick and Morty, Tony. Have you ever watched that show? I have not. That's well before, well, well after my time. Which is it? I mean, so it's It's on right now. Then it's, well, it may be, I don't know. What do you call that? When something is that it's not before my time because I I exist now. Anyway, we're giving away it's this outside, game. It's outside of your demographic. And to be honest with you, I'm surprised. I should check it out because it's by Dan Harmon. And I love Dan Harmon because he did the show Community. But anyway, we're going to be giving away these three pies to someone in the U.S., and we're going to be ha- we're going to be having yes we will be we will have a, <laughs> we're going to well, we're going to have a page one of Tony's famous Google Forms we're going to go out there and you select in order which of these games you want if you win that's right and if you want to you can select just one game and if you get picked and you don't want any of the other games well tough nuggies you just pass it on to somebody okay else. fine Jeez. all right fine. But still, I mean, Train Heist, great game. We talked about that. So I don't know why you wouldn't want that. Attack on Titans, you had a big time with that. Uh, If you watch the show, you'll probably appreciate it more. But as a co-op game, it it is a really cool game. So we're going to have that on our page. And we're going to have that running uh, through August 1st. Going to give you uh, two weeks from the release of this episode to go out there and fill it out. And we'll randomly pick one and ship out 
some games to everyone. Note to self, August 1, takedown survey. Got it. All right, I'm good. Yeah. You know what? I've been, what? I have been sitting here contemplating, what do I want to do with my dining room table? Or actually, it's our kitchen table. I've been talking with my uncle about building my own gaming table. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, our good buddy, the Bruddy, Bruddy. Bruddy. Our good Bruddy with the Spranks. Yes. Mr. Berkey himself. The man can do everything. Kevin B. He can dress up like a sheriff. I mean, he can dress up like a king. He can dress up like a, what's the latest thing he's been doing? Has he been a Viking? Is that what the next thing he's been doing? He can make awesome seasoning for your meats. Oh, man. He can do it all. Well, not only that, he is coming up with an elegant solution to put a game topper on existing tables or go out to Sam's and purchase one of those. Okay. If you don't have a Sam's Costco, okay. A BJ's warehouse and get one of those white tables for gaming. Mm -hmm. And he can make it look like an elegant geek chic table. I I mean, uh, he released this pre video and these things look really, really cool. Solves a storage issue if you don't have room. Uh, Marty, the man's a genius. I talked to him a little bit today, and he's uh, spent over a year uh, designing this concept to where it is a table topper. It's two pieces that go together, and he's going to have different sizes, and it has a little bit of an inset, and it has a wooden rail around it. So when you look at it, it looks like one of those really nice game tables, but it just sits on top of an existing table. And I was like, man, that seems like it's going to be heavy, but he's has it designed so it is aluminum. So the main frame is aluminum to cut down on the weight, but it is trimmed in real wood to make it look really good. It has a neoprene inset uh, so that it has a nice uh, feel to it. So it's not felt, but it feels like a nice uh, game table. And he's going to have these accessories that you can attach around the edge of it for like cup holders, wine glass holders, or these little trays for holding uh, bits of your game. Why didn't we think of this? What, what is wrong with us? I don't know. But we're always a day late and a dollar short. It's like, oh, that's a great idea. Somebody else has already thought of it. I mean, I've been looking at do-it-yourself plans over at Board Game Geek. I've been watching mm-hmm. a bunch of YouTube videos. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking I've gone on some woodworking magazines, and I'm like, oh, man. Okay, this is going to take labor. It's going to take time. It's going to take money. Hey, this solves the problem right there. And so this is going to be uh, coming out on Kickstarter later this fall, but he actually took some samples down to Dice Tower last week, and you can go check out uh, Rob Oren, his uh, YouTube channel. He actually has a table where he kind of reveals the table and how it works and everything with him. You'll see pictures coming up on his website. As of today's recording, his website, GameTopper.com, or is it Game gametoppers.com is not out but you can go check his boardgametheater.com where you can uh, see links to some of his videos but he's going to be put some information there about it and he's going to have some tables available or shown at gen con because some vendors that he's going to be working with will be using his game toppers for their demo area and he does jerky oh my gosh he does trick. <laughs> he does trick. The guy, the guy does it all. I think it's it's a brilliant move. It's going to be coming out on Kickstarter later this fall. He asks about prices. He says he's looking around four or five hundred dollars to start out and kind of go up to six, seven hundred bucks, uh, seven or eight hundred dollars, somewhere around that range, depending on the size that you get and the accessories that you put on it. I ask about the weight. He says it's it's two halves of a table, and each one weighs about thirty five pounds. So uh, there's a little bit of heft to it. 
but it's not nearly as heavy as what I I thought it was going to be. I asked about, I said, what about if you knock the table, will it slip or slide? He went, nope, we've thought about that. The frame underneath it has this 3M material, this really high friction uh, rubber type material so that when you put it on the table, it won't slide or skid. So he said, you can't accidentally bump it and knock stuff off the table or anything. So I think he's thought of everything, Tony, and I think it's going to be a big hit. I hope so, because a nice guy, incredibly nice guy. And it's really cool that I'll be able to test these out because the stars are aligning. We're at 95%. I'm coming to Gen Con, people. That's right. And we've got a special event that we're going to be doing at Gen Con. Tony, you and I have had the age-old argument of strike. Is it gladiators in an arena or is it just dice in a bowl? You will help us decide because on Friday at Gen Con at the Omni Bar from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., we want to invite all of you to come hang out with us as we have a strike tournament. You will be split up into two teams, one team supporting the Dice in a Bowl, one supporting the Gladiators in Arena. The Gladiators in Arena are going to play in the actual game of strike, but the Dice in a Bowl... I'm going to give you some dice in a bowl. You're going to play strike in that. We're going to have a little tournament. We're going to end up with champions from each side who will play the ultimate championship game of strike. And the winner will determine once and for all, or until we do this again, do we refer to this as gladiators in an arena or dice in a bowl? Now, we all know that everybody's going to be signing up for the gladiators in the arena side of it and therefore that side will be weighted so it doesn't matter which side we may assign you to both sides it doesn't matter but whoever wins no we can't assign you to both sides we'll assign you to one side side. and there's a lot of details that we've got to flush out so i should be able to do that thursday night at gen con so oh lord here we go what else i mean this is rolling dice and taking names do they expect us to have prepared before they no that gets rid of all the fun so anyway We will have it set up. We'll get you signed up. You'll go in, you'll play, you'll have fun. And if you are a gladiator and you end up in dice in the bowl, you can declare the winner when you finally become a true champion of strike. And we know where it's going to land. We know what people will pick. I I would um, argue and plead my case, but I'm, I'm not getting a lot of support on my side. So please, everybody out there, I need some support. Let me know. Join Team Marty. Team Tony has enough people on his team. I need some Team Marty people. So anyway, reserve that night. Gen Con, Friday night, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. The Omni Bar will provide more details on some other things that's going to be going on. But you help us decide once and for all this age-old argument that's only been going on for about two years, but it feels like it's been age-old about uh, what we're going to do with Strike. Tony, there's something else that's exciting, too. You know we love our ashes. Yeah, we love our ashes. And one of the reasons why we love ashes is because it has some of the best art I've ever seen on a card. And the person who draws that art is Fernanda Suarez, who is now starting her own Kickstarter. Ooh. 
Okay. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you've ever looked at her art. She, she posted some of her art on Deviant Art, and it is some incredible pieces of art. And now she's trying to go out on her own and basically just have a full time job creating art for people and drawing and stuff like that. So I have a link in our in our uh, blog for that. We really like what she does. Again, she's probably my favorite board game artist right now. So go support her, Fernanda Suarez. You'll see more of her art coming out on the new Ashes expansions coming out at Gen Con, which we'll be picking up also, Tony. We will? Oh, cool. Because you know what? I finally found my Ashes card. I filed them away, but in my cleaning and my calling, I found them. I'm looking to get that back on the table. I'm very excited to have that back on the table. Oh, there's so much going on, Tony. So exciting. And we've still got a couple more episodes to go before we get to Gen Con. I know, and hopefully we can line up some people to come on. If not, we'll just ramble on and on and on because we've got plenty of games to talk about coming up. I'm looking forward to doing a little Gen Con pre-planning, a little preview. What is it? Do I want? Matter of fact, if you go over to a BGG Guild, there'll be some special polls coming out possibly in the future, like one that's going on right now, the rifle shuffle versus the stacking shuffle debate that we got going on. Thank you, Chad. The stacking shuffle. Does, I call it that. It's a pile shuffle. Fine. It's a pile shuffle. Whatever. Chaz Marler went out and made a brilliant video about how to shuffle cards and called somebody out. Uh, that call out would be me. Yeah, so I didn't realize this. So when I was playing cards with Chaz, I, I like to pile shuffle. That's just kind of what I do because I've kind of gotten used to it and I... I think it doesn't damage it doesn't damage cards that much so i just kind of as we're talking i kind of do that come to find out i was a little gag in chaz's video about the fact that he doesn't like it and he decided to call it the connell clusters i like marty mounds (laughs) marty mounds marty mounds or connell clusters anyway he had a, a video out there where he talked about it. And so, Tony, you put up the poll. And right now, not many, not much support for the Connell Clusters. The Rifle Shuffle is still number one with the hand-over-hand uh, type shuffling and, and number two, which to me, I don't think does much good at all, but that's me. And you and I call it Rifle Shuffling because it sort of sounds like a machine gun. Oh, is, it, is it riff? Oh, it's Riffle, riffle Shuffling. Riffle I'm shuffling. sorry because it's two S. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Sentient. See, I did it again. It's okay. I'll let Sentient. you get I'll let you get away with it. Now, it's hard to believe that this year is flying by, but if Gen Con is just around the corner, that means it's August. The end of the year will be here in no time. And if you're like me, you have a calendar that controls your life. So it's now time, people. One of our favorite people, Scott King, has got his Kickstarter going for his new calendars that are out there. Now, Marty, every year he backs this thing. He gets this special calendar. I'm a base calendar kind of guy. I like to be surprised. Matter of fact, I don't look ahead at my calendar. So Scott King's got his Kickstarter out there. We want to support him because Scott always comes back and supports the show by letting us possibly, and hopefully he'll do it this year. I don't know yet. We haven't heard, but he'll allow some of our listeners to win this. If you have ever wanted a Scott King gaming calendar, go out to Kickstarter and take a look at it. It's posted, right, Marty? I'm not screwing this up, am I? Oh, it is posted right now. He's already funded, so you're going to be guaranteed to get it. I'm the custom calendar person myself. I like picking out each month and having a certain theme for each month. And he has like, gosh, over a couple hundred pictures now to choose from. It's an insane amount. So I'll get some AP trying to decide how to build my calendar with only 12 pictures. But yes, it's out there now. 
Uh, this is the, geez, this would be maybe the fourth or fifth calendar that I've gotten from him. I can't remember how many years he's done it, but I've gotten it every single year. Love his work. Fantastic photographer on Kickstarter now. Go check it out, the Scott King Gaming Calendar. And more importantly, his photos show up on our blog site, the RollDiceTakeNames.com site. And there was a pause for that because I was waiting for Marty to interject. You screwed it up again. I got it right, didn't I? Oh, you did get it right. I like I said, I fixed it for you. You could just say rolling dice and taking names if you want. Oh, I know. And I appreciate you doing that. And if you're not a member of our guild, please, we are so close to 1300. Please, Tim Moore. I don't care. Trick your friends into doing it. Say, go join the BGG Guild for us. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah, we, we would love to push it right over the edge. And Tony, later on this year, I think we're going to break 10,000 followers on Twitter. So I have to do something special for it, too. Ah, uh, well, uh, and Instagram, I don't care. <laughs> Sheesh, wow. Wow. Way to push it. I, I appreciate that. Well, there. there's only one picture every week, as you pointed out in the last episode. Get over yeah, it. There's a bag of chips. <laughs> That that bag was so full of air, it exploded. There were hardly any. It was hilarious. I love that. So do me a favor and keep rolling dice. And taking names. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names, Instagram, Dyson Names, Facebook page, Roll Dice, Take Names, and come join our BGG Guild 1589, push us over the 1300 limit, and ask for an RDTN micro badge for free. down trees i eat my lunch i go to the lavatory on wednesday i go shopping and have buttered scones for tea he cuts down trees he eats his lunch he goes to the lavatory on wednesday he goes shopping and has buttered scones for tea he's a lumberjack and he's okay he sits all night and he works all day Funagain.com has done it again. If you go over to their Facebook page on Wednesday nights at 5.30 Pacific, you can watch them do live playthroughs. And they actually do a giveaway as well. So go out there, watch their videos, and during the playthrough, Funagain will choose a listener and give them a game. Also, if you're unlucky, like me or Marty, you may not win it, but they give you a promo code that's good for 24 hours on the game. So if you like what you see and you want to buy it, great way to save some money. So be sure to go over to funagain.com for all your gaming needs.